0: So,
1: we are starting a new series today called Be Light. It is an expository teaching through 1 John. So what does that mean? That means that we are going to spend time that's crazy in the Bible. Just the Bible. I know. We're going to go through the entire book. Uh, You'll notice I did something different with my slides for this whole series. And by the way, if if you find the slides helpful, let me know. And if you say, you you know, that was hard to follow. I have a suggestion. Give me the suggestion, because I tried something different today. The slides are the verses. I know. it. And with highlighting and bold and underlining and italics, we're going to kind of walk through what John is saying. We're going to kind of try to trace his his, uh, thought process and, and just dig into what he means when he writes the letter of 1 John. All right, guys, let's dive right in. Tonight is 1 John chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2. Verse 6. But before we do that, let's give a little bit of an intro here. Who is John? If you're new to church, and if your mom didn't drag you to church three times a week your whole life, I'll shout out to my mom, like every week. You might not know this, so I'll go ahead and give you some background. This is the guy we're about to hear from. He was a fisherman before Jesus called him. Now, Because he was a fisherman, we can make some assumptions that he was not the A-plus student that got chosen to be apprenticed to a rabbi. So this is not the best and brightest, necessarily. doesn't mean he's a dummy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, fisherman did all right. But, you know, kind of a blue-collar, rough-and-tumble guy, got called by Jesus. He had a brother named James. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' inner circle. Those were the three guys out of the twelve that he he usually brought with him every time something really cool or challenging was about to happen. But James and John, these brothers, they got a nickname from Jesus. And we're not sure why Jesus gave them this nickname. Peter got a speaking name. We call him, you know, the rock, you know. And these guys are called the Sons of Thunder, which may say something about their relationship with each other or their personalities. In general. So right away, this is a hint. When we talk about John, a lot of time we talk about him as the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, there's this this famous part in the Bible where they're at the Last Supper and John's actually reclining against Jesus. And we say, Oh, oh John. Oh, the Apostle John, you know? He's a pillar of the early church. He's the disciple Jesus loved. Well, I want to challenge that perception of John right away. This was the kind of guy that didn't desert Jesus at the crucifixion. Amen. John is at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother, and Jesus from the cross says, Mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother, and kind of passes off care of his mother to John. So he's got to be pretty hardcore, okay? He's a son of thunder, after all. He's a pillar of the early church. He's called that by Paul. But he is famous for his love language. He loved this, loved everything, this command, love each other, love, love, love. It's it's everywhere. But again, I want to look past the love language that he's famous for, and I want to point out one last thing. This son of thunder, this John, is a ferocious enemy of heretics. Move forward, slide. There we go. This John did not like heresy at all. He wrote his letter probably later than the other Gospels, the Gospel of John, and he wrote his letters after he wrote the gospel, probably about 90 A.D. And heresy and heretics were one of the main reasons he wrote. So behind all that fluffy love language is actually polemic. He's aiming all of that at something. You know, it's targeted. A lot of what he writes is an assault against these nasty beliefs that are popping up. Which leads us into why he wrote John and why he wrote First John. All right. First, as I said, he's writing late. Maybe about 90 A.D., and these heresies are popping up. Who's ever heard the term Gnosticism or Gnostics? Guess what? We are not going to go deep into what Gnosticism is. Sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint. Who's ever heard of the heresy of Docetism? No doubt everyone. Oh, man. All three of us. Excellent. Great. <laughs> well, basically, you know, we can start a new heresy overnight now because we have Twitter and Facebook. But back in the day... If you wanted to get a good, nasty heresy going, you had to percolate for a while and get an approval, you know? So John is probably writing when these heresies are starting to form, and both of them deny that Jesus could have been really God and really a man at the same time. Both of these heresies say, no, that doesn't compute, for various reasons. You know, maybe they thought the spiritual things were so good and and the physical things were so bad that no way would a good spiritual God actually dirty himself by becoming a physical man. Impossible. The real God would never do that. So they take Christianity, and they just tweak it a little bit, you know? And there's this one guy named Has Anybody ever heard this name before? Me and Justin, fantastic. John did not like Serenthus. Serenthus was teaching these Gnostic, ascetic beliefs that Jesus wasn't really God when he died. You know, the spiritual part of, the God part of Jesus kind of, you know, scooted out of there right before the crucifixion, so God didn't actually suffer It's this poor guy named Jesus from Nazareth that kind of, you know, basically took the cross for God. He was the scapegoat almost. This doesn't compute with John. There's a story written down by St. Irenaeus the one time the aged John with his disciples was going into a bathhouse. And all of a sudden, he turns around and runs out, this old man, right? And he says, fly, lest the bathhouse fall down upon us, for Serinthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. And he runs (laughs) away. He spotted Serinthus in the bathhouse and was like afraid the wrath was going to fall right there. He's like, I don't want to get caught in that. So, this is the son of thunder in his old age, writing (laughs) against heresies. He's also writing to contrast what it looks like to live the Christian life in the light the right way and what it looks like to live in the darkness, which is living the wrong way. There's a lot of contrast in this book. John does not see gray. There is light. There is dark. There's right. There's wrong. There's love. There's hate. Be on the right side. But then he adds that nice love language to make us feel better, little children. (laughs) My beloved, don't be a heretic, or the bathhouse is gonna fall down. So also he wants to encourage readers, which does come out sometimes. You know, we'll see that in here. But this is not a soft book. This is a book that's written for a purpose. It's not a letter like Paul's letters that are written to address necessarily a specific group. It's more of a sermon. And it's not linear like Paul's writings. If, if you've read any of Paul's writings, you know, maybe he writes and says, bless you, big, long blessing. And then he says, hey, I heard some things about you. Might be good, might be bad. For the Thessalonians, right? It's like, hey, I heard how great you are. Like, oh, God. Whew, thank goodness we heard about what he said to the Galatians. You know? <laughs> but I heard this. This is what I think about it. This is what you need to do about it. Peace. By the way, I'm on my way. You know, It's linear. This is not a linear book. This is written by more of a poet. It's obvious that John is more of a mystic, just in the way he writes, and we are about to see that. You guys ready to dive in? Sure. Yep. Excellent. Here we go with the text. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to chunk it up. First John 1 to 2, 6. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him Ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 1 John 1 to 2 6. Now, if we were in the original context, if we were around 90 AD and we were the people he was writing to, that would be the whole sermon. All of the nuance that I'm about to hopefully bring out, you know, it, it wouldn't be like, a, oh, yeah, moment. We would get it perfectly. You know, we'd understand the verb tenses and the poetry. But because it's 2018 in America, we need to have a whole sermon out. So we're about to. Amen. Let's talk about the first chunk. That, that's the official technical seminary word, by the way, is chunk. <laughs> it's actually not, but I do use it in papers. <clears throat> first John 1 to 1-4. One what was from the beginning, what we have heard or have seen. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but I want you guys to first notice that verse 2 sticks out a little bit. That's because it's kind of a parenthetical statement. And you can tell by the way he writes here. You know, it's kind of its own thing. That's what they were trying to show by the dash. And the life is manifested. We have seen and testify and proclaimed the eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested to us. So just know that. He's doing kind of a poetic move there where he bookends that with some other stuff. And prevalent in this, absolutely everywhere, is experiential language. We have heard. We have seen. We have looked at and touched with our hands. We have seen... Let me, where is, okay, we have seen and we've heard. Why do you think he's writing all this stuff? We've seen it. We've heard it. We touched it. We looked at it with our own eyes. We saw it. We heard it over and over and over and over again. Well, there's a reason. One, he's talking about the word of life. You may think, John, how did you see and touch and observe with your eyes a word? Well, the answer is quite obvious. It was manifested to us, of course. The life was made manifest. It appeared. It was made visible. That word in the Greek means to make appear. So he's saying this thing, the word of life, spoiler alert, John called Jesus the word a lot. So when you see the word it means means Jesus. We saw Jesus, the word of life, this thing that was from the beginning. We touched it. We observed it with our own eyes because it was made manifest to us. And that is what we are testifying and proclaiming to you. Now this might seem kind of a round way of speaking, it might seem like poetry, but know right away that if you are a Gnostic, or if you are a Docetic person and you are reading this, you are allergic to this full paragraph. <laughs> this does not jive with you at all. No way could you see him, no way could you touch him. It's too spiritual, God wouldn't do that. This is getting all of your hackles up, and he's doing it on purpose. He's starting strong. This is not a soft, windy message. He's saying, I want you to know that this word of life was from the beginning, and you're supposed to hear God himself in Jesus. Because I'm John, you guys know how I do. We heard him. We touched him. We saw him. He was real. He was manifested to us. And that is what I'm telling you. Amen. So he's driven to proclaim it. Why? Well, he tells us that too. So that you too may have fellowship with us. This is his goal. We want you guys on board. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is a link that's going to run through the whole book. That if you have fellowship with us, with God's people, you also have fellowship with God and with Jesus. They go together. And you can't say you have fellowship with God and Jesus without wanting or having fellowship with his people. Does not work for John. This is another strong thing he's saying. And he's saying it in a poetic way. But he's pointed, man. And he's going to make this point later in the book over and over and over again. And then he says, these things we write to you so that our joy may be made complete. Might seem strange to say that. Maybe we'd expect him to say we're writing this to you so that your joy can be made complete. But, obviously, it's the kind of thing that makes John happy to write about this stuff. Alright, the next chunk. Here we go. 1 John 1 5-7 This is the message we've heard. He's saying this word of life, Pierre does, he saw it, we touched it. He's the real deal. He was from the beginning. You better believe it because we're proclaiming it to you for your own good. We want you to have fellowship with us and with God. You guys ready to hear the message? Yes. This is the message we've heard from him and that we're announcing to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. At all. The light and darkness contrast is going to run straight through the book. He does it on purpose over and over and over again. This is not a linear author. He's a poet. He's a mystic. And he wants to understand God, light, no darkness at all. Because it's important that if if is highlighted bold, underlined, this is as, well, it's just two letters, but this is as dramatic as I can make it seem. If is introducing a conditional statement. Somebody say conditional. Conditional. If means if. It means if. He's not assuming a response. He's not saying, certainly, since you guys are doing this, it's obviously a given that you're fine. If means if, okay? He's addressing possibilities. Maybe he's heard about some people living in a way that they shouldn't be living. And maybe he's trying in a roundabout way to say, if anyone should be doing this, this is certainly what's going to happen. All right? but if means if, for the duration of the letter. If we say that we have fellowship with him, fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness. Little pause as we talk about the word walk. This is not a slip. Okay? This is not having a bad day. And being rude to someone at Starbucks. When he uses the word "walk" for the duration of the letter, he's talking about a continual way of life. This is your habit. This is if you had to like have a, a modus operandi, just the way you work. That's your walk. Amen. Okay. So whoever says that he if if someone should say that they have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, and there we go. There's that word again. We lie. Whew. And do not practice the truth. And in the Greek, when you really dig into it, that means you lie. <laughs> you lie. And you don't practice the truth. But if we walk, if our regular habit, if the mode of our life is in the light, then two things happen. So far, bad things are going to happen with one result. And good things always have a bonus. There's always an hand at the end of the good thing. So we're going to talk about that. If you walk in the light, he himself, is, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's good, because he just said that's one of the reasons he was writing, so that we can have fellowship. Yeah. But there's an and. If you walk in the light, not only will you have fellowship with God's people, but the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Cool thing that might not stick out, but this is not a past tense word, is it? This is not the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed you from all sin. This means if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son is cleansing, like actively right now, us from all sin. Amen. The image is like a continual cleansing. Like if you're in the light, and something should happen, we'll talk about this in a minute because it comes up like, oh crap, I sinned, why? Because I'm not divine. You know what I mean? I'm mean, a human being in this fallen world. You mess up. But if your way of behaving, if your normal life, if the way you exist in the world is in the light as much as possible, you are actively, continually cleansed by Jesus who you have fellowship with. Yes. That's amazing. And we should let that be framed for us. Does John sound like a whim so far? Amen. No. Amen. Come on. Amen. I mean, too quick. Let me let me set you up different. Here we go. John's not a win. Busy. Amen. Amen. Good. All right. Here we go. We're gonna look at the next chunk. First John one eight to ten. Here we go. What do we see right off the bat? We have a big fat if. If means if for the whole letter. He is not assuming a yes. Okay. This is a condition. Find yourself somewhere in these conditional statements. All right. If perhaps. Someone should say that they have no sin. Wow, first of all. If you should say, I don't have any sin. And this is talking about having sin like something you carry. Like, what do you have on you right now? Like, I got my credit cards right here. I got my wallet. I have this clicker. Got, Got some sin. No, I mean, I don't have any sin. There's no sin there. He's using it like that, like something that you happen to hold on to. If someone should say that they have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Strong. Strong. It's interesting that he's, he's talking to believers, right? And he's saying, if someone should say that they have no sin, and again, that's that's a phrase like you're holding something, you're carrying it, you know? If you're saying you don't have any sin on there right now, you're just yourself. You're kidding yourself. You're leading yourself astray. And not only that, but if you're talking about yourself that way, the truth isn't even in you. Whew. But if here we go. we got another conditional clause. If we what? What's that word? Oh, hold on. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up. Remember verse 6. Don't let this escape. In verse 6, he said, we lie we don't practice the truth. So Whoa. there's a theme developing. John is about calling people liars when they're lying. <laughs> he doesn't have any gloves on. We read John and we hear, oh, just love each other. John, God so loved the world. John is hardcore, man. This is a son of thunder writing a letter against heretics to the church. Alright? But if my mom's phone rings is service, I will embarrass her. (laughs) If we, what's that word? What's the C word? Confess. Confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, the good things come in pairs. The bad things don't say you has a sin, you lie. You confess your sins? Well, there's a good thing and a bonus thing. Here's the good thing. He's faithful and just to forgive you and the bonus thing is, and he cleanses you. Not only does he say, it's okay that you fell in the mud puddle. He also brings the hose over and says, let's make it so like you never fell in the mud puddle. There's forgiveness. I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. And then there's a cleansing. It's like it never happened. Hmm. Amen. What kind of person gets that? A person who yeah. person confesses. Per- confesses their sin, right? A person who's existing in the light. A person who exists underneath the continual cleansing of Jesus. Who has fellowship with God's people and has fellowship with God. John is saying some very circular poetic things. But he's saying it very strongly. So he's cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And then he ends with another conditional clause in verse 10. If we say that we have no sin... I have talked about that. We make him a liar. And his word is not in us. This is different than the other phrase that's talked about it like holding something. Like you got any sin on you right now? Oh, no, not me. This is talking about, do you believe you're in a state <laughs> of never having sin? No. The oh, phones, it's the enemy. Sorry, sorry. Silence, you technology demon. <laughs> <laughs> Cast out Facebook. I'm sorry. sorry. We'll edit that out. If we say we have not sinned. If we say we have not sinned. If you think that you were in a continual state of never having sinned. Like, how are you doing right now? I'm great. I'm in sinless, sinless perfection right now. State of sinless perfection. That's different. That's like a level up. That's level past saying, I don't happen to have any sin on me right now. My life's okay now, but I used to be messed up. If you're one of those people that actually thinks you don't need God's grace because you have never messed up. You are calling God alive. And his word is not in you. Look at these strong statements so far. John, the disciple of love, who we are now going to call the son of thunder, is saying, if you think you know him and you walk in darkness, you lie. Think you're sinless? You're lying to yourself. Think you've never sinned? You're actually calling God alive. And all this from the nice guy in only ten verses. (laughs) So it's going to be a really interesting book. So obviously the conclusion is, we're all in pretty deep trouble. Because all of us are now in the same boat. The only question is, are you going to live in the light or live in the darkness? And this is exactly what he's setting us up for because of the next sentence. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you do not sin. I take it very seriously. God takes it seriously. Look, all of you need to admit, there's some sort of sin issue. Big, small, present, past. It's there. Don't sin. Stop it. And he calls us little children, apparently to soften the blow. (laughs) This is a Johnism. He likes to call the people he's writing to, my beloved my beloved little children, my little children. He really does have a heart for us. Remember, this is the kind of God whose joy is made complete when we have fellowship with God. He really is writing these things out of love. He's writing strong things. He does not have gloves on, but he really does think of us as the beloved and his little children. A lot of good authority, all good authority, will have this attitude towards the people that they're in authority over. So. I've had to take a few rebukes in my day. It is easier knowing that they view me as the beloved and his Amen. little children. Amen. Come on. You'll Amen. take even a stern thing from somebody like that when you know this is their heart. And this is John's heart for the people he's writing to. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then he goes realistic on us. And if, oh, wait. Yep, I forgot to put the slide in here. Wait, hold on. I thought I was writing, thought he was writing so that his joy could be made complete. Well, He is. But John is basically saying that the church walking walking sinlessly in the light in fellowship with God and each other is what makes him joyful. That's what he wants. Sin is a joy ruiner. So don't sin. All right. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. So here's the image, right? You sin, you mess up, you break God's law, you're culpable to God. But you have an advocate. And this word in, in pre-biblical language was used as someone who would stand in behalf of someone else and plead their cause. So we might think of a lawyer, but it's not quite the same thing. It'd be like, where's Bill? And then this other guy would be like, I'm going to represent Bill today. I'll be him. I'll, I'll argue Bill's case. He's, he's given me permission to do that. And hopefully it's someone more capable than Bill. Well... Jesus Christ, whose title is the righteous, is the guy in charge of pleading our case for us to the Father. I think our odds are pretty good of having the Father see things his way. Plus, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not only is he our advocate, not only is he our stand-in, who has a title called the righteous, but calling him the propitiation means that he's actually the means by which... Forgiveness comes. Yeah. This is a word that means that he is the sacrifice. And by his death, God shows mercy to the sinner. Amen. It cannot get better than that. If you exist in the light, you have fellowship with Jesus, you are consistently cleansed. How in the world is something going to be like chalked up to your account sin-wise? If you're existing in the light, in fellowship with God and man, and Jesus Christ, whose title is the righteous, who is the means of forgiveness himself, thinks you should get off. Yeah. You can't argue with that. In another place in the Bible it says, who's, who is going to condemn us? Serious question. Can anybody do that? No. Because the guy who's in charge of deciding who's condemned and who isn't is the one making the way for us to be forgiven. He's pretty strong. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now I put those of in little brackets because, here's a note from the Vines Expository, in the King James, it had in italics, the sins of, before the whole world. And Vine says this, the italicized addition to the King James Version, the sins of, gives a wrong interpretation. What is indicated is that provision is made for the whole world so that no one is by divine predetermination excluded from God's mercy. Amen. No one is excluded from God's mercy. So we would be wrong to read this and say, says right here, John, easygoing, impossible love guy, says that Jesus already paid for the sins of the whole world. Everybody's good. They're all good. Everybody gets in. Jesus already forgave them." It's not saying that. The technical catchy term is this. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all, but effective for those who repent. Sufficient for all, but effective for those that repent. It's big enough to cover everybody. But this is not saying universalism. Everybody say copy that. Copy that. Excellent. All moving right, on. No I was amazed too. The first John 2, 3 to 6. This is the last section. Well, first of all, spoiler, this is the summary and conclusion. Even John knows it, so he writes it that way. We're going to go verse by verse. Here's verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. What does that mean? This is walking in the light. This is how we have fellowship with God and each other. This is the kind of life that can be assured of Christ's constant forgiveness and cleansing. When you're walking in the light, when you're living in accord, and don't read legalism until we keep his commandments, this is the whole spirit of his teaching and the character of God himself. If you're living that way, you're good. That shows that you've come to know him. People should be able to look at you and tell, whether you're living in the darkness or living in the light. Make sense? Yes. Next one. Verse 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commands, well, this is shocking, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John is saying, if you think you're without sin, you're lying to yourself. If you say you know God while you walk in darkness, you're just a liar. And if you think you've never sinned, you're calling God a liar. If lies are such a central part of your whole thinking process, The truth is obviously not in you. Now, I want to say a word on that. Some people disregard sin to a dangerous degree. They don't take it seriously enough. You know what I mean? And I think those people need to take it a little more seriously. But some people, and it's been my experience that a a lot of believers are this way, you take it way, way, way seriously, maybe with a slightly unhealthy twist. I I don't know how to put it. Like... No one is going to be, in my opinion, I have to put the opinion flag up there because people like Wesley disagree with me. I don't think you are going to achieve sinless perfection in this life. No one's picking up chairs, so I think we're good. (laughs) I think there's always going to be something to work on, and I think that's what John is saying. If you don't think that you've got sin, if you don't think you have something that could be improved, something that doesn't measure up with the character of God, you're just deceiving yourself. And being perfect isn't the ticket anyway. Confession is and moving further into the life so long as you live. Further up and further in, as yes, Lewis said it in the last battle, focus on doing that. You're going to be okay. Amen. You're continuously cleansed. Okay. Make okay. sense? Yeah. All right, so that's my opinion. If you get into theology, you will find people that disagree with what I just said. But it's not heresy, so I don't think John would punch me. <laughs> last verse, verse 5. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Yes. And again, word means. What are we keeping when we keep his word? We're not just doing what he said to do. We're not just not doing what he said not to do. We are embodying more and more the very character of Jesus himself. That's what it means to keep the word. And if you're doing that, you're the real deal. Because you'll be thinking and acting more like Jesus all the time. That's your walk. That's being in the light. And if you don't want to do that, for some reason, I can't imagine why, you should do it for John. Because that's the kind of thing that makes his joy complete. Come back next week when we talk more about light and dark and sin and... All the other stuff he talks about. Thanks guys (laughs) for sharing.